Zoe. That first chapter of Luke is where we're going to be spending uh, most of our time today as we, as we go through the Advent story and kind of look at this uh, story again as we begin to prepare our own hearts for this season that we are in the midst of uh, and are aiming at. This is... So, yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about the, the song of... Uh, there we go. So, uh, we're going to be talking about the expectations that, d- that different people had around the coming of Jesus. As, as we learned last week, that the, this whole season is about coming, and this idea that, that rescue, that, 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 that Jesus is surely coming. And, and last week we talked about about the expectations that Jeremiah had, that, the, that the, what the prophets were understanding was that in the midst of everything, they were going to be restored. The, the promise was, was restoration and repair. And where there was death and destruction, there would be new life. That was the expectation that they had. And now we have this word that comes from Zechariah the prophet at the beginning of Luke chapter 1. Uh, where, where he reads out this song that he, uh, that he composes on the birth of his son. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house, house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So we can start to see what they were expecting as, as they talked about uh, as they were expecting this, this, this salvation to come, that, that this was rescue and safety, that, that Zechariah is speaking as, as an Israelite predominantly. He's a person who has, been, who has been by the Roman Empire pushed and oppressed as much as any people can be oppressed. And on behalf of his people, he's, he, he's, he's thinking of their, their, their being stolen from and oppressed and murdered and destroyed and marginalized and shoved to the side and, and tried to have their way of being in, uh, torn down. And what, what Zechariah is looking forward to in this moment is that there is going to be a rescue that gives them room to serve and follow the Lord. And his own son, John the Baptist, plays a role in this, that this is what he says of his son, John the Baptist, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will be go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong or wild in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So now we're going to be speaking about the other miraculous birth that happened around the same time as Jesus does. And, and the story is actually told in conjunction with the, with the story of Jesus in Luke 1. For Luke, these two stories are, are deeply intertwined, and this is how he starts it off. In the, in the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both 
very old. And once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So we're setting up this story. Luke is setting up this story in a way that is, that is very, very familiar. There's a, there's a righteous and elderly couple that is unable to conceive. We've heard this trope appear throughout the Old Testament in, in Abraham and, and Sarah, in, in, in Hannah, the, the, the mother of Samuel. This has appeared throughout time. So, so uh, Zechariah is in the midst of being that kind of figure, and then as a descendant of Aaron, it's his turn to go and serve in the temple, and he does. And he gets this extra added honor slash dangerous uh, assignment to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This was not a thing that everyone got to do. It was drawn by Lot, and it wasn't uh, completely agreed on that it was a lot that you wanted to win. It could be dangerous to go into the presence of the Lord. So this is a fearful and an honorable situation for Zechariah. And while Zechariah was in there, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Interesting. I was just thinking about this week as I, I was uh, reading. Somebody sent me a bunch of stories about people encountering angels. And, uh, and I believe that some people encounter angels. It's a thing that happens. But every time someone encounters an angel in the Bible, their first thing is like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So I'm just saying that that would be a consistency that would uh, exist in a, I would imagine that would be an, a, a consistency that would exist in, a, in a, an angel seeing story today as well, that your first reaction would be like, oh, this is great. But to be like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. Don't be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Spirit even before he was born. Before he is born, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is a great and amazing pronouncement that this angel is making to Zechariah. So not only is his son being compared to Abraham, his son is being now being compared to, to Samson. He's not to take any wine or fermented drink, and he's going to be filled with the Spirit before he was born. These were words that were used to talk about people who were going to deliver uh, the people, uh, to, to deliver Israel from, from their enemies and, and to follow the Lord. So um, very naturally, though, Zachar, in my opinion, Zechariah answers the question this way and asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well on in years. Let's just dis disabuse ourselves of the notion that in the ancient world, people didn't know where babies come from. They knew where babies came from in the ancient world, right? And the angel says to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Gabriel was a little bit insulted. I think that, uh, that uh, Zechariah would dare to ask him this. I think it was a reasonable question, but Gabriel is, uh, is not amused and uh, is not willing to tolerate that. 
And I, I just find this hilarious. So he, he, because you will not believe my words, which will come true at the point of time, he's going to remain silent. So we're already having miraculous signs going along with this. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering he stayed so long in the temple. He could be dead, which happened periodically. And when he came out, he could not speak to him. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when the time of his service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife became pregnant, uh, the old-fashioned way, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from amongst the people. Okay? So this is so now both Elizabeth and Zechariah are part of this miraculous event that they're participating in together. And when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he used to be called John. And they said to her, uh, there is no one among your relatives uh, who has that name. I find this very, yeah, thank you, Phyllis, for already seeing the humor in this, that, that I don't know that I would have the audacity to say to a new parent, like, actually, you're wrong about the child's name. That is not, I know you want to name him that, but no, you're wrong about that. We're going to, you know, um, no, he used to be called John. What Gabriel had done, what, what uh, Gabriel had told them to, to name him, they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child as if it's his decision. Um, and he was asking for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Not to, is it really that astonishing? That seems like a wise move to me. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about, about it, asking them, what is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was on him. So... We get, so, and then Zechariah says this song that we've already read, that we've read through before, and, and, and we see Zechariah's expectation of this, through this miraculous event of what he was expecting to happen, that there was going to be rescue, and there was going to be safety, and there was going to be hope because of God's work in this child. And, and even though he, he recognizes that John is wild in spirit, there's going to be a rescue and a safety in this. And this is interesting that... that that his name is, is, is John, and that John it comes from the Hebrew word Johannes, which, uh, which means the Lord has shown favor, which is exactly what Elizabeth said when, uh, when, when he was going to be born. She says this after this is, wife became, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown favor. So that is where this name, Yohanan uh, or, or Johannes, has come from, what we currently interpret. As John. But we see here that there's going to be rescue in what Jesus does. There's going to be rescue in that coming. There's going to be going to be repentance in that coming. There's going to be a drawing of people together and wisdom in that coming. And in this time, I'm forced to ask the question as we listen to this, as we see that Zechariah has come around to this. Are, are we more like Zechariah at the end of the story, or are we, are we more like Zechariah in the midst of the temple? 
Because as you remember, in the midst of the temple, Zechariah is standing there and he sees a vision of an angel telling him what God is going to do, which is not surprising to him. God has told them what he was going to do throughout the, throughout the prophets, throughout the history of time. He, this is completely in step with what God has been doing. And Zechariah is now privileged to be a part of that. But even in the midst of that, Zechariah, even in the midst of seeing that this is part of God's plan, even in the midst of being given the promise of a miracle, even in the midst of being a, a, a person who, who follows the Lord and, and is, is called righteous, even he says, how is this going to happen? And his how is this going to happen is keeping from him, him from experiencing the joy of what Jesus and God are bringing about in this time. And I wonder how much that is for us. We've also been given a promise that Jesus has come and is coming again, that there is going to be hope and rescue and restoration in every way that we feel put upon and oppressed, in any, every way that we are bound by our own behavior and the behavior of others, that that bondage is going to be broken. We are equally receiving that promise, and yet equally we often turn to ourselves or to our friends or to the world or to God and just say, like, but how's that ever going to happen? How's it ever going to be different? How's it ever going to be changed? How, is, how can this story end any differently than the way that stories have always ended from every point from here on out? There can be no change. I can't imagine it in my own mind. And yet, what Gabriel is saying is like, aren't you going to listen to the Lord? Haven't you paid attention to what God did in the past? Haven't you paid attention to what he told you he's going to do in the future? Why is this so far outside of the realm of your experience that you cannot expect this to happen? And I think it's an important place for us to be, to us, for us to acknowledge that we are not people who eagerly hear this word and automatically jump on board with it, most of us. We are often more like Zachariah, feeling anxiously and, and, and with limited imaginations, wondering how on earth is this going to happen. So as we enter into this part of this readiness that we're looking for, this readiness that we talk about with the, with, uh, in the, uh, when it comes to Bethlehem, this readiness that we talk about the people of Israel lacking, this readiness that, that no one had when Jesus came, this readiness that we're looking for is a product of our Holy Spirit-inspired imagination. Are we holding back the work of the Holy Spirit because we are so unable and, and hard-hearted as to not imagine him doing anything different in our time? Are we holding back this work or not experiencing the joy that comes from it because we are not, our imaginations are too small and too weak to imagine that he could be, do anything different? Because this season reminds us of anything else that our expectations and the expectations of religious people and the expectations of, follow God, of the people that follow God are way smaller than God's expectations. That our imagination as we look for rescue and hope is way smaller than God's imagination. That our imagination as we look for repair and restoration and life where there once was death is way smaller than God's imagination. And as such, are we willing to, at this point, 
have our imaginations inspired to imagine a God that can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine and has already done in the giving of his son and the preparing of the way, given us infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. Are we willing to step into that? Because that's what this Advent season invites us to do, to have our imaginations exploded beyond the boundaries that we've placed or the boundaries that Zechariah has placed or the boundaries that the world has placed and have them fired up to, to be God-sized imaginations. I want to be really clear on this uh, as because this is uh, it would be unfair to ask you to to take on a god-sized imagination and not in uh, include uh, the reality of what John the Baptist endured and that as he had a god-fired imagination uh, he was a lot of people still thought he was a crazy person and he behaved in ways that, that didn't make sense to a lot of the, the standard religious folk. And he called people to expectations that were very different. So as, be prepared with your God-inspired imagination for that to be bigger and grander and more stretching than you imagine it to be. Well, let's take some time in prayer to prepare ourselves. God. We recognize that we are weak, and we recognize that uh, we have limited imaginations, and we recognize that the scope of what we can see you doing in this world is much smaller than what you have planned. So we would ask that as we sing and as we head to your table, that our imaginations would be inspired that all of those places where we've imagined that, that nothing can change, all of those places that we've imagined that where everything is destroyed, all those places that we, where we've imagined that the, that the chains that hold us will forever hold us, that we would be able to imagine those broken, that we would be able to imagine alternative futures, not because of what we're doing, but because of what you're doing. Because we know that the future that you have called us to is filled with unity and peace and, 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 and work for your glory. We believe that that is what you've called us to. So help us to imagine that today. Help us not to be limited by what we can do, but help us to be, to be limited only by what you have called us to. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. So we come to this table, and we come here as people needing an example of what the bounty of God looks like. And the bounty of God looks like this table. It looks like God giving his only son to go to the cross on our behalf and to take the weight of sin that we could not carry and to give us new life. That's what the abundance of God looks like. That's what the imagination of God looks like. And I would invite you to take some time this morning in silence to, to ask God to point out all of the ways that your imagination has been limited, all of the ways that you have only seen what the world has asked you to see or what your boundaries have asked you to see, and invite you to, be, to get a God-sized vision of what he has called you to. So let's take some time and silence.